Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We are looking at verses 8 through 13. If you have a tendency to daydream, I would go now. Uh, if you, <laughs> I mean, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Um, I was been looking at this text, and I can honestly say that I have spent probably um, four and a half months on these verses. Uh, and the reason is, is because chapter 12, verse 1 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And I am convinced that one of the greatest uh, flaws that exist in the body of Christ this day is understanding of spiritual gifts. And I don't believe they're hidden. I don't believe that it's a misunderstanding. I don't believe um, uh, that we are with excuse of not to understand it. I do believe that it takes a little work. And um, a dear friend of mine said that uh, perhaps the greatest sin that is in the church today is she's lazy. Um, so I was trying to figure out how to go through this text, and I thought, well, I could either do about a seven or eight hour message, or I could break it up. So, would you like to vote? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> I figured I knew knew what. So I'm going to pray, uh, then we'll read eight through uh, thirteen, uh, and then we'll. Just pray for everybody because I have been praying for each of you for weeks now because um, this is a, uh, it's a complicated, uh, maybe it ain't complicated. Maybe it's just really complicated to me and you guys have got it all figured out and then I'll ask you to help me. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, I just pray that even now uh, you remove... um, our preconceived notions. Father, uh, so much that I see in the church in Corinth has filtered into the church in America. Um, Experience is now the authority. Father, let us bow before your word. Father, let us understand that sanctification comes by truth and your word is truth. Father, I thank you for those who are here this this morning. Father, I pray... Lord, I have been begging your throne to help us to hear, to help us to see. Father, uh, I am definitely not adequate for this task. And so, Lord, I'm begging you now through your spirit to teach my friends. And that, Father, they would walk away encouraged, but they would walk away understanding. To you and you alone, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there are knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man... I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. But now 
Faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love. Um, basically, let me see if I can get it all up to speed quickly. What you're dealing with in the letter to the Corinthians is what I call reversed evangelism. The world had evangelized the church. And the church was dragging in everything that they could get their hands on and trying to spiritualize it. Even to the point where they were taking spiritual gifts and in the energy of their flesh were trying to use these supernaturally, divinely given gifts. Not only that, there was a line of counterfeit in it. And what we see today is the same thing. People trying in their own strength to live supernatural lives. Um, basically, the church in Corinth was a church, uh, Christians, I want you to understand, this is not a cult, okay, this is not a sect, this was a church, it was Christians, and they were living for their flesh, and they had, you know one of the amazing things about the church in Corinth that is kind of stuck in my head, who was the leadership It was one of the earliest churches, okay, one of the earliest letters. But I don't know who the pastor was. Paul was gone. Paul was in Ephesus writing this. Who were the elders? Who had, who was driving this mess? And basically what you see is they're not there. They're not mentioned. And even in 14, he says, you who have prophets... Do this organized. Make This can't be chaos. You can't have this chaos going on. And, and this church was struggling. I mean, the first six chapters, Paul just is dealing with what he knows. Chapter 7, he starts dealing with what they were struggling with. And, and I mean, you had everything from people and their arrogance saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I am of... And they were suing each other. Uh, they were trying to tell each other, to, well, if you're single, you're more spiritual. If you're married, you're more spiritual. Uh, and who was going to do more? And you see it today. And, and I believe that we fall into this. And I'm talking about we who are in this room. Okay. Um, we believe that the one who has the biggest impact in the kingdom today is the teacher. The one who has a, a, a Bible study, the one who has a Sunday school class, the one who has the pulpit has the biggest influence. And, and, and we want to sort of, you know, well, I'll do it in humility, but I have been studying this. It's really good. And I think that we have sort of bought that. You know, truth of the matter is, some of the m people who've had the greatest impact on me in my life were awful teachers. But amazing servants. <clears throat> amazing servants. Couldn't teach, couldn't articulate a phrase if they had to. But they served the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Never seen anything like it. Very quiet, tend to be in the back. Those are the ones that I believe have. You know what? I think that the single greatest impact in the body of Christ right now are those who have the gift of prayer. And, and, and we have a few of those. We need more. Okay? And, and what is going on here, if I look at the text, 
Chapter 13 kind of sits right in the middle of this thing. And he says, we need to fix this. Why? Earnestly, I will show you a more excellent way. I want to show you the best way. You know what the best way is? Love. Love. I mean, Paul in chapter 13 basically has to fix all. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what your concern is. Love. This church needed love and was absent of love. If you look at that verse 5, it says, does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. Have you ever watched a church today in America? How does it fit in that? It looks just like Corinth. You know what's amazing about the letter in the Corinthians? There's no doctrinal issue. It ain't like that they're a different way of salvation. It isn't like there's a different way of being holy or a different way of, uh, of the second coming or what is the church supposed to be? The issue was the individual's lives that was being manifest collectively. What do I see in the church in America today? Same thing. It's amazing. I meet with pastors on a regular basis in our community, and everything I hear is marketing. It's marketing. And I mean, you listen to their passion for lost people or their passion to present the body of Christ, holy, chaste virgin. And then the whole time they're saying, but if you advertise this and you put this little sign out and you've got this thing here and this demographic culture and study and this, and you just sit there and you go through and you go, what are we doing here? Are we going to build cars or the church? And we always have a, a better idea. Um, and, and, and I see this uh, on a regular basis. Um, I shared with you last week, um, I do not believe, uh, I don't like giving up really good words. And one of the words that has been hijacked is charismatic, charisma. Um, I like that word. I think it is an exceptional word. It means under grace. Uh, and I am a charismatic. And don't run out of here and, and go goofy on me. Okay, I'm under grace. And listen, I prefer it. <laughs> grace just seems like a good thing for me. I like to be under it. I like as much of it as I can get my little greedy hands on. Um, but one of the things that I have seen in the church is what I call experientialism. Okay, and experience validates whatever. Uh, we've actually used experience to validate scripture. Uh, and and what I, that frustrates me because, um, you, know, you know, it's like if you've got a friend or a buddy, maybe they ain't a friend. We won't call it a friend because that could get us into trouble. You know somebody who claims that there's a pink elephant in their living room, okay, and it's sitting there and they can't help it if you can't see it. You're not going to talk them out of it. They believe that thing is sitting there and you're okay. All right? And that... Not everybody. That's silly. No, that same mentality is carried into the church. It has to be of what? Because I experienced it. If I have an experience and it's in a place called the church, then it's got to be of God, correct? But I showed you this morning in our Sunday school class that our adversary is disguised as what? 
angel of light. Angel of light. Okay? So, when I speak of charismatic, I'm speaking of a person who is under grace. Um, and, and what I've seen the church do is we have, have you ever seen a, there was a study when I was out a number of years ago that I've seen and I haven't seen it around. I think it's probably still around. I just don't spend time, but you, you would go through this questionnaire and when you got done with the questionnaire, it would tell you what your spiritual gift was, uh, or your blending would be, I believe it's a blending of gifts. Um, but, uh, you, you would go through and, and I remember going through several Bible studies with different groups of people and, and they would always describe in, in this study, you would have the spiritual gifts when it was operated under the influence of God. But here's how that gift would look if it was operated under the influence of the flesh. And it was funny because everybody that I talked to said, this, this is my gift because this is how I act in the flesh. And I kept thinking, Wayne, there's something wrong here. That I'm going around finding my spiritual gift based on my flesh. And one of the things I've learned about spiritual gifts, when a person is plugged into the body of Christ and they are completely oblivious to what spiritual gifts are, everyone around them will see what their gift is. Okay? You can't seek spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives it as He wants to give it. Okay, and I, you know, one of the things that I've never been able to discern, do they change? Okay, I mean, he may need you gifted this way for this opportunity, this way for this opportunity, this way for this. Why wouldn't he? We always look at how gifted big churches are. Truth of the matter is, a small church would be more gifted than a large church. Because you've got less bodies to do more things. So who would be more gifted? Just interesting stuff, I thought. And in the middle of all of this, Paul is saying, instead of being involved in spiritual gifts, instead of being involved in what you believe is prominent, instead of being showy, instead of saying, you know what? The teacher is the one who really has the larger impact in the church. You need to be concerned about love because love never fails. Okay, let me tell you something about teaching. It does not have the largest impact in the church. Please understand that. No greater teacher has there than Jesus Christ. He had 12 guys. One betrayed him, one denied him, and the other 10 vanished. And I'm thinking he's a pretty good teacher. What do you think? Because everybody kept saying no one ever taught like he taught. Okay? Because the word goes forth and accomplishes what God sends it for. Okay? It isn't that the teacher... It isn't how quick or how they can articulate a phrase. What are we concerned about in the body of Christ today? Okay. The word that we, we looked at this quickly, but love never fails. Okay. Fails means falls to decay. Love can never fall to decay. We looked at this last week. And the word never means never. It can never fall to decay. Now listen, when we looked at this last week, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean it's always successful. It doesn't mean it always has the victory. But it will never stop. Okay? Listen, one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading this text and going through this text is everybody 
loves everybody, if everybody ministers to everybody, if everybody ministers to everybody in love, Christ will be visible to the world. I won't have to take a demographic study. I won't have to do a thing on what do the people want to hear. If everyone loves, if everyone ministers in that love, then the whole world is going to stop to see what in the world's going on. It won't be able to stop. The body of Christ could not stop the flood of unbelieving people wanting to see what this is. I mean, that's the bottom line if you really think about it in the life of the church. They will know you are Christians by... Not by your ability to speak in a language. Not with your... You know, one of the greatest churches I've ever seen in my life was Thessalonica, and I don't even know who their pastor was. But they had a faith that worked. They had a love, a stretch that would stretch out muscles. And they had a hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Their impact was so massive that the whole Greek peninsula heard at it. And what was going on in Thessalonica was heard in all of Christendom. And that was before there was radio. I don't know what he published. You know, I don't even know who was leading their music. But it was a powerful ministry. I read that. First three chapters of First Thessalonians was amazing. I mean, you could stop right there and say, we're done. Bottom line in the church, the emphasis of the church. And, and, and I think about us because we are the fellowship of Christ. You know what? It's possible in this room today there are those who are not in the fellowship of Christ, but they're just here. But we don't get that option. It doesn't say, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. Okay, and you know, I've run into unbelievers who are easier to love than some Christians. Paul is amazing here because he takes the very thing that is hurting the church in America today is the position of prominence. Is a position of I you can do more in the body of Christ if you're the teacher, if you are a speaking gift person. And and Paul makes a point here, uh, love being the permanent thing, and he contrasts it to three gifts, and they're very clear contrasts. Very clear. And if you look at your outline, you'll see that love is the only thing that's permanent. Because gifts are temporary, gifts are partial, gifts are elementary. Only love is eternal. All right, very, very, very clear. See, because the gifts are temporary, love is eternal. Gifts are partial, love is complete. The gifts are elementary, love is mature. And we could stop right there. But I'm not going <laughs> to. Why stop when you got it so clear? <laughs> Let's muddy this thing up. All right? All right, now I want you to look at it. I'm teaching out of the New American Standard Translation. Okay, there are two kinds of Bibles on the market today. There's a transliteration and there is a translation. Okay? Transliteration is just that. It's literal. It, as best as it can, takes, here's the word, the, and brings it over as the word. And it goes back and forth, all right? There is um, 
translation, and that is a thought-by-thought translation. Okay, and uh, you, you can lose some of the nuances in some of the text. I think part of the problem that exists in the body of Christ over spiritual gifts today is partly that reason. The other part of it is counterfeit. And, and, and now I have uh, my standard for study of Scripture is experience. Okay? <clears throat> he compares love never fails, then he takes the gift of prophecy... He takes the gift of tongues and or literally languages. And he takes the gift of knowledge. All right. He hangs three verbs with those three nouns. All right. Um, What is amazing in this text is he says the gift of prophecy, the gift of languages and the gift of knowledge are for a limited time. But love is not, you know, and it's uh, though love is indispensable when it comes to the use of a gift. Love will outlast the gifts. All right. Now, if you take these three gifts, prophecy, languages and knowledge, they were highly prized. But the issue isn't whether the gifts are highly prized. It's a pride problem. I see it today because in the church today, we have people who want to be a teacher. If I'm a teacher, I have a bigger impact. I have a bigger, you know what? I'll tell you ahead of time. Teacher's judgment is harsher. So be real careful about what you wish for. All right. And understand who the boss is. You know, anybody ever had problems with their supervisors, their bosses, their employers? Huh? You ought to see my boss. My boss is a perfectionist, okay? And he doesn't like close. He even defines it missing the mark. Close is missing the mark. You know how he translates it in his book? Sin. Well, that's depressing. You know what's really depressing about my boss? He knows what I think. (laughs) Drives me nuts. He knows all the time. And, you know, I can't even go on vacation and him not know what I'm thinking. Okay, so do you want my boss or do you want your boss? Well, I'll tell you the other thing about my boss. He does the same thing with you. (laughs) I hope you feel better now. When I see churches and church people who are self-seeking, who are self-centered, who desire prominence, all I can think of is spiritual show-offs. And I see it. I see it on a regular basis. And the emphasis, I believe, is on the gifts, the same thing the church in Corinth was dealing with. And there has come a movement in the church in America today, it's the same that you see in the church in Corinth, that the gifts are being exalted. The gift is the thing you want. And, and I go back to what, what, I, what I try to explain. So, you know, people ask me, says, well, Terry, how did you know you were called? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I never did get that information. I never got a memo. I try to tell people on the top two million things I want to be when I grow up, this ain't on the list. All right. But I was involved with the body of Christ in such a way that people around me says, I believe you're been called. And I just looked at him and said, you're in need of professional help. 
since that time, everybody has left and I'm standing here holding the bag. All right? But it is a passion. It is a passion. Paul shows them that these gifts that they put so much emphasis in are temporary. And like I said in chapter 12, verse 31, love is the more excellent way. I will show you more excellent ways. Okay, now I'm going to go through this. And if you're going to daydream, I would leave the building now. Because this is, I'm going to start getting into active and passive verbs, middle voice. And yeah, I see that went really good. All right, it'll get better. Sure it will. And it's going to take a few weeks to get through this. But I believe that the Bible is very clear. Okay. If you look at the text here, most of your texts will say the gifts of prophecy, singular. It's not. It's plural. Okay. By the plurality of the noun there, prophecies, it is the result of the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy, singular, has produced plural prophecies. Okay? Literally, what it means is the ability to proclaim God's truth. All right? Um, the word means to speak before an audience. That's what the word has always meant. It wasn't until the 1300s that someone says, but it means to tell the future. And we always believe that prophecy now is to tell the future. No, I can tell the future. Did you know that? But you just have to follow along as I read Revelations. It's the future. All right? And if I stand in front of a crowd, then I would be prophesying the future. What a deal. You didn't know I was so ambidextrous, did you? All right? Chapter 14, verse 3 tells me what this is, this gift of prophecy. And it is a speaking gift in three ways. One, it edifies. One, it exhorts. And one, it consults. Okay? When a person has the gift of prophecy and they are speaking prophecies, plural, they will build some people up. People will be strengthened. In some cases, they will encourage people to good behavior. In some cases, they will comfort people who are struggling, who are hurting, and who need comforting. That is the gift of prophecy. I know, he's expecting more. But that's what it is. All right, then if you go to the other one, the gift of knowledge, it's literally the words of knowledge. Uh, it is also speaking. All right, and I like these two because these would be the two that are celebrated publicly. The man is a tremendous prophet. I mean, uh, Ezekiel 33, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel. They're running around talking about you. They think that you are a prophet of God. They think you are speaking my words. It is totally cool. But you know what? They're not listening. They're not doing what you're saying. So don't let it get to your head, Ezekiel. Okay? The gift of knowledge is very important. Because it literally means the ability to observe facts and to make an observation and to draw those facts into spiritual truth. Okay? And it is a person who's probably going to spend a little bit more time in the Word of God. All right? Um, I see this in scholars. I see this in teachers. Uh, you and I have grown up with uh, evangelists. Okay? 
Um, I have had the privilege to spend some time with one of the world's greatest evangelists, uh, and, and, and then I've spent a lot of time with the world's greatest evangelist. The world's greatest single evangelist that ever walked the planet was the Apostle Paul. He was an evangelist. Let me ask you a question. Did he have deep theology? Dude, did he have some deep theology. There's still stuff I ain't got figured out what he was saying. But he was an evangelist. Please don't ever kid yourself. He was taking a the good news to, to everybody. He's an evangelist. Why do we believe that evangelists should be shallow? Most people consider an evangelist as someone with a very simple message, no depth to it whatsoever. Dr. Stephen Olford, who we're watching his CDs, was an evangelist. Man, have a passion for evangelism. I mean, he shared Jiminy Crickets. You can stand at the checkout line. You have a spiritual belief. Let me share with you some things about Jesus Christ and your sin. You know, you know, Stephen. I mean, you're a little white man or a little man with white hair. Nobody's going to mess with you, but I'm standing with you. And they may think that I told you to do it. Okay. But, but, but he was an event. Man had an amazing mind, an amazing mind. And he had the ability to observe and to draw spiritual truth. Okay. Now, if you read those two, now I, I guess I intentionally went to the two ends, but if you read those prophecy, and knowledge. Okay, now depending on your translation, I was going to write these all out, but man, I looked at New King James and Darby, and I looked at King James, and I looked, and they're all in the New America and in the NIV and all the rest of it. Mine is right. Okay, mine says prophecies will be done away with, and knowledge will be done away with. Okay, you know why? In the Greek, it's the same verb. It's the same one that you see uh, in verse 10. The partial will be done away with. Same word. All right? Now, a lot of your translations, you're going to have knowledge, or you're going to have prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, and they all have a different verb, right? Most of your translations, because that's what I did. I looked at it and I thought, no wonder we don't understand what spiritual gifts are. But understand that prophecy and knowledge are the same verb. Then you see stuck there in the middle, tongues. All right, It literally means languages. It's languages. And it's the ability to speak a foreign language. And it was a sign. We'll look at it in depth in chapter 14. And it, and it was God had intended it to be a gift for specific purpose. We'll look at it in 14. Specific sign. God wanted this gift. It was, it was an ability to speak a foreign language. All right. Paul's saying these three pro- prominent gifts are going to come to an end. That's what Paul says. That's what it says. Right? The big question is when? And as we've been studying in Exodus, it's easy. Tomorrow. No. <laughs> he kept saying that in Exodus. Tomorrow. Tomorrow the bugs are coming. Tomorrow there ain't gonna be no daylight. Tomorrow the... <laughs> Okay. No, 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 no. When is tomorrow? Okay. Well, if you go study this and you listen to people, and you read other people, some say that all the gifts have already ceased. Okay, That there are no spiritual gifts, that they were used at the foundation of the church, Okay, and now they're all out. Okay, Some say that they're all in. 
okay, that the gifts are still going because they're all around us. You can just see them, okay? And then we have what I call the moderates. They say some are in and some are out, okay? My question is this. What do you do with 12.1 when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, Okay, I can tell you this in verse eight, they all will cease. Right? Spiritual gifts will come to an end. The gifts are temporary. Verse eight. That is as clear as anything in scripture. Right? But Paul and the Holy Spirit do make a distinction with these three, don't he? Okay, prophecy and knowledge are definitely going to be distinct to tongues, to languages. Okay, tongues will cease at a different time than prophecy and knowledge is the way the text is written. Okay, it takes us back to the original question. When? When? Okay, be done away. Kataghetto, kataghetto. Be done away. Knowledge will be done away with. Prophecy will be done away with. Kataghetto. Okay, so the first and third verb are the same. We're all glazing now, aren't we? First and third verb and kataghetto and going to be gone. Okay, the second verb is different. Pavo, pavo. Okay, the word kataghetto is to be made inoperative. Be made inoperative. Pavo is to stop. All right? And we're all having a blast now, aren't we? Guess what? It's only going to get worse. All right? They're in different voices. I'm hearing voices. Okay? You have what is called an active verb and a passive verb. First and third verbs, kataghetto, are passive verbs. All right? In a sentence, my English teacher back in high school would love to hear me say this now because she hated me. You'll never speak American. Probably not. In a sentence that the subject receives the action, so something is acting on the subject to make it stop. Matt says, yeah, I'm a teacher. I I know that. Okay? That's a passive verb. All right? So, what the heck has that got to do? And all the kids are saying, I would have just stayed in school. I mean, I could go back Monday and get this. All right? Passive verbs. Where prophecies are done away with, something is going to come and stop prophecy and knowledge. Okay? Now, it could be something, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll, we'll keep studying. Something or a force is going to stop prophecy and knowledge. All right? All right, so we know prophecy and knowledge are going to stop. Some, they are going to be acted upon by some other force to stop them. All right? What is it? Easy, verse 10. Perfect comes. Now we got it all cleared up. 
When the perfect comes, they'll stop. What's the perfect? It's not a passive. <laughs> All right. What is it that is going to come and stop preaching in knowledge? Very simple. The perfect to teleon, the complete. Got it? Got it. Some people believe that the perfect is the Bible, the canonization of the Bible. When the Bible is done, prophecy and knowledge will stop. Some people believe that it's the maturing of the church. Okay. Some people believe that it's a rapture. Some people believe it's the second coming. Some people believe it's the end of the millennium. Two weeks, we'll find out. <laughs> Verse 9. <laughs> no. All right. What you have in 8, because it's passive, all right, ties it to verse 10 when the perfect comes. Why? Because the perfect, whatever it is, is the force that will shut down the passive verb in verse 8. Is everybody with me? Better yet, is there anybody with me? And they're all sitting there going, this ain't even one I want a recording of. Okay? All right. Well, I got one with me, and that's my wife, and she's been reading my notes. All right. The verb for languages, Pavel. Okay? It's not passive. Not only is it not passive, it's what they call an intractive verb, and it's impossible to become passive. What? Let's go back to the other two. All right? It's what they call Greek middle voice reflective. Everybody's thrilled over this. All right, let me see if I can explain it to you from American. <clears throat> if you're an American and you have an active verb, all right, I hit the ball. Okay? All right, if it's a passive verb, the ball hit me. Okay? If it's middle voice from the Greek text, I hit myself. <laughs> Okay, everybody, everybody got that all figured out? We're all Greek scholars now. Okay, middle voice. I hit myself. Middle voice. Pavo. What does it say? Tongues, they will cease. They will stop by themselves. No external force to stop tongues. Languages. That's the meaning of middle voice. All right? Again, we're right back where we started from. When? Okay? Pavo, middle voice. I went through the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Every time I found Pavo in there, it meant to complete. Okay? It was accomplished. It was spent. It was done. It was always middle voice. Um, and it's reflective, which means it all by itself, it ends. There is no external force to stop languages prophecy and knowledge are going to go on till the perfect comes because the verbs tie together in 8 and 10 languages are going to stop by themselves are we all feeling good I hope you guys got... When I got into this, I said, yeah, how do I explain this? Better yet, I'll just say, you know what? They're going to stop. We're all going to stop. Hallelujah. And we'll find out when. All right? Listen. Lord Jesus Christ said, heaven and earth shall pass away. 
Okay, when they said that Jesus had come to adulterate it, he says, I tell you the truth, not a jot nor a tittle. You know what those are, right? Punctuation and the crossing of a T or an F, right? This was written so that we would not be confused about it. But I do tell you this, he doesn't say that you won't have to work at it. Right? I know a lot of great men of God who teach that when the perfect comes is the canonization of Scripture, and these guys I'm going to spend an eternity in heaven with. I know that emphatically. But I believe that the verbs that were used for prophecy and the verbs that were used for knowledge and the verb that was used for languages were used because the Holy Spirit says you need to get a hold of this. I, a force, will stop prophecy and knowledge. Tongues will cease on their own. Okay, the question then is when? When? It's easy. Think about it. Gift of languages for, for what? It was a language. No. 14 tells us what it was for. It was a sign of judicial judgment against the nation of Israel. See, the gift of languages is this. I preach to you the gospel in Hebrew today. What good would it do you? What if I preached it in power and authority? What good would it do you? None. None whatsoever. But what if I had a whole room full of Hebrew speaking people and I spoke it in Ethiopian? What good would it do you? None. None. So it was a sign of God, from God, to the judgment of Israel. Please understand that. That's what it says in 14. He quotes Isaiah, from the tongues and lips of strangers, I will preach. You know what he's telling, telling me, don't you? I told you straight up what was going on. If you look at Jesus' ministry, three years, first year and a half, he said he was what? Son of God. I'm Messiah. I'm the line of David. I'm the one you're waiting on. He did not hide it. Then they concluded, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. Wow, now we've got Einstein standing in front of us. Okay, from that point on, if you look at it, what did he do? He began teaching publicly parables. All right, and he would never explain a parable except to his disciples in private. What is that? He's preaching the gospel through a parable. It is through the parable. And they don't understand it if he doesn't explain it. A parable is a riddle. And it could be anything you want it to be. And the last half of his ministry, he taught in parables. Okay? Holy Spirit comes upon the church, birth of the church of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Who would be the community at large? Jews. All right? And they all began speaking in languages. God's judgment. I sent to you, Messiah. I was straightforward to what I was doing. You can't, you are without excuse here. But now, I set you aside. You will not hear. So when will it cease? When the church becomes the Gentiles. 
And that's where we're at today. Are there a few? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few Jews in the church today. Few. But now they've hardened their hearts. Did it hear? No. So when did tongues cease? I'll give you the exact date in a couple weeks. This ain't hard. This isn't hard to see. Why? Tongues will cease on themselves. Why? It's done. I don't need it no more. Right? But there will be an exterior force that will come by and it will shut down prophecy and knowledge. When? Easy. When the perfect comes. Tetelion. When the complete has come. And I'll show you what that is in a couple weeks too. All right? This, I, you know what? This is so simple. But yeah, yeah, you've got to go get your Greek dictionary and figure out what the heck these words are and, and how they're working and them stupid passive and active and who thought that up. Okay? And I had to go do it. But when I look back at the, oh, the glory and the wonder of the Word of God, it was given. He says, here, I'll make it simple for you. Now, it would have been a lot simpler if the original translation had come languages, not tongues. Because I've, what a headache. But it's languages. I can show you where it's at. And if you go through the book of Acts, you will only find tongues, the gift of languages, three times. Three times when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began speaking in tongues. Three times is the only times you'll ever find it. And they'll tell you, it's all over Acts. Yep, three times. All over Acts. But it's everywhere. It's all over. It is three times. Once in Jerusalem. What's at Cornelius' house, which was the guy who was doing what for the synagogue? Helping the Jews. And the third time is in Ephesus with some disciples of John the Baptist. I wonder what nationality those guys would have been. All three times you had who in present? Jews. All three times, 14 tells me that tongues is a condemnation of Israel. And he quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah is saying, you know what? God's told me the Assyrians are going to capture us and throw us in prison if you don't change. And what was their response? Assyrian captivity. See, it's not complicated. It is complicated when you have to look at... And, and I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. When I started looking at this and the three verbs were all changed in every translation I got at, I got frustrated. I thought, well, this, it ceased, it vanished, it's completed. Which is it? Well, I'll go back to my Greek New Testament find out there's just three verbs there. Two of them are identical, and one means it ceases on its own. All right, now that I've completely muddied this up, we have about three more weeks of this, and we'll all be experts in tongues and prophecy and knowledge. And we all smile at everybody and say, it's just verbs, dude. All right? But I want you to understand something about the Word of God. There are, there's things in here I don't know. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells me that, you know what, there's some things you ain't telling. Okay? But you know what? There's other things. And when my Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, you know what? He means you won't be. But he doesn't mean that I'm just going to lay it out. You may have to work at it. You'd have to, you know, people ask me, what is my greatest tool that I use to study a scripture? Easy. Prayer. Why? Help me. You wrote this for me. Help me. And then if I get the privilege, I'll teach it. All right? We should not be, spirit, should not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Okay? And yet the key to all of it is what? 
love. Love. I don't need a bunch of people running out of here saying, well, you know, the verbs are passive and this is active. And No, walk out in love. Walk out in love. You know, I have a friend of mine who's in a charismatic church. And they do some weird stuff. But anyway, um, you know, he, he came and said, you know, we had our whole Sunday school class and all the kids from Mother's Day could speak in tongues. I said, hallelujah. And he said, uh, you're a Baptist. Doesn't that bother you? I said, nope. I said, it should bother you that you got that many non-believing Jews in your church, though. <laughs> he's probably still wondering what it was I said, but <laughs> I was speaking in tongues. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you that you are specific. Father, you, you never cease to amaze me, and as, as I even wrestled with this, trying to lay aside all that I've ever heard and all that I've ever seen, and Father, it became abundantly clear that it is simple. And the complications of what we have made of it. Father, just as Paul is dealing with this, this church, let us deal with our brothers and sisters uh, in love. In love. And Father, um, if we're given the privilege to sit down and reason together from the Scripture, Father, let us be ready. Uh, Father, not in arrogance, in all humility, in brokenness, and in meekness, let us be able to show your word in the power and the authority of your, your Holy Spirit. And Father, may we be overwhelmed with what love that all of the people will come around and wonder what love they have for one another. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in the mercy and grace that you showed us on that cross. And Father, that your church be that precious, holy, pure virgin and we get the privilege of lifting Lifting her to you. Completion. Perfection. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for this time. In Christ's precious name. Amen.